Does an earnings report generally make you feel excited that it may skyrocket or the opposite? I feel like I'm always excited for an earnings report. <laughs> like I'm always and I'm excited always, for it. I'm always pessimistic. I'm always, I need to get out. Welcome to the Casual Drop Podcast. We are by no means experts. We are by no means experts. And they're gambling. They're not investing. They were bearish when they should have been bullish and bullish when they should have been bearish. Okay. The way that you do it is you get in it. Got Jordan, Jordan, and John here. Excited to be, make it to episode two when you say John. Absolutely. And if you made it to this episode two, I'm assuming you listened to episode one. So thank you. We. It's we're funny, we were a... just talking about, you know, really it's just, it's kind of getting these episodes going, putting them out there and continue to get better each time we, we go through these. So um, I'm excited to uh, bring this second episode to you and, and then kind of go forward. So yeah, absolutely. And in the future to talk a little more about what we want this to look like would love to get guests on if you have great ideas let us know but again you know all around the idea of, of talking about uh, investing that's important to us it's probably going to lean heavy towards towards the stock market and other relating items but many topics to come and for this particular episode want to talk about a fun topic which is how to choose a company to invest in how to choose a stock and you can take that a bunch of different ways and I'll, I'll preface this with traditionally there's there's a few ways to, to value stocks you have fundamental investing technical investing and i think what we talk about will be a little bit unofficial but uh you know approaches and things to think about that are meaningful for us and and helpful and excited to get into it yeah i mean this is kind of like part two of from episode one Really, the majority of of this podcast is going to be talking about, I think in future episodes, you know, circling around stocks, sectors, industries that we like, things that we like, you know, around the market. And so kind of building off episode one, it's it's really now, okay, I got a Robinhood account. I got a Charles Schwab account. You know, I got this account where I can buy different, you know, individual stocks or fractions of stocks. Now, how do I pick these stocks? And Really, what we're going to discuss is kind of our style with that. I definitely think of when I go through and I decide what stocks I want to invest in, there's a little bit of a, a common theme with that. Um, you know, the first one I would say is really like knowing the sector, knowing the industry, right? What What's going on in the industry? Is it something I'm interested in? Trends, you know, what it's done in the past, you know, understanding all the companies kind of in that space. Uh, you know, another one would be knowing the specific company. All right, so you know the industry, now you wanna pick your company, learning about that company. So we're gonna dive into different things about that. And, and then, you know, kind of lastly, I would say another important thing is, is knowing your CEO or know the leadership that's within that company. I would say that that's kind of my three things that I do when I, I look at a stock. John, I know it's kind of similar to you because we're always talking about whether it's the leadership or um, what industries we really like. We're, we're kind of common ground when it comes to to those items. And that's what we want to touch today. So let's just get into it. So know your sectors. All right. We'll, we'll cover that first one. We're both in different spaces. Um, we're interested in 
you know, this obviously because it's it's not just what we do for a living, but the companies that are around that, whether it's our competition or what's going on, we oftentimes talk about, you know, different companies in our space. Like for you, when you're researching stocks, what about the sectors that do you draw to? Like what specific sectors, you know, and like what are you doing when you're researching those sectors? Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> I think that's a great place to start because with the stock market, you have these macro trends and then on a company level, it's it's more specific, more on a micro level. But to your point, we touched on it a bit in the last episode, it's going to be a lot more fun and probably a lot more effective to start with investing in, in, in areas, industries, sectors that, that you like and, and know. I would say naturally, I gravitate more to tech stocks. Now, because of that, you would think that my portfolio over the last 10 years has been stellar. It's been okay. <laughs> but yeah, I would say naturally gravitating to tech stocks because that's what interests me. I'm a millennial and you know understand, understand that space more than others. You wouldn't really catch me investing in consumer goods or like a Procter and Gamble, not because it's not a great investment. It's because it's something I don't know very well and, and don't don't care that much about. And yeah, going back to what I mentioned before, there's a ton of opportunity in tech. And what you see now is these very, very large tech companies are breaking into sectors outside of it. I mean, even in Amazon, you could talk about some of these large companies for a while, but that's a tough one to classify because they basically do everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, knowing your sectors, some of the things that we talked about is which, you know, how, how do how do long term trajectories play into what something might happen? You can think of lots of case studies over time of how entire industries have been sunsetted due to innovation and not just in technology, but um, in, in other things, too. But uh what, what, what do you think, Jordan? What do you think about when you think of tech sectors? And well, I think I think adding to that, obviously, tech stocks. A lot of it, I think, is too is the timing that we came up. You know, Silicon Valley, like seeing these companies blow up. Obviously, being more tech savvy, maybe than the older generation, with whether it's knowing the new phones that's coming out, the games, or you know, any sort of technology that can help us be more efficient. I think about that like in my everyday, it's like, oh, how can I be better at what I'm doing each day and like get rid of the stuff? Like, what's an app? What's a productivity app? Or what's what's a software that can help cut down the time that I'm I'm spending on this stuff? And so tech is definitely one that I'm always looking at. It's interesting because tech can, and we'll get into this specifically on, on future podcasts, but tech is so broad now, right? Like where it used to be maybe a couple specific things whether it was like a social networking app or, you know, technology and like security systems or, um, si you know, cyber data, all that stuff. Now it's like it goes over into cars, right? It goes over into the automotive industry. It goes over to uh, agriculture, where we've gone, right? It's blown up to a point where th there's so much involved right now, you know, in the technology space and how to be more efficient. And I, I feel like to that point, there's there's so many new terms that are burst out of innovation. Like for a long time, it was okay. When you have a reoccurring model, it's software as a surface. That's a license to use 
a software and you generally pay an annual or monthly fee. Now you have things like platform as a service or data as a service. And really you have entire new asset classes that are formed out of innovation. For example, you know, having a cloud-based system that captures a lot of data didn't exist 50 years ago. But now, just like you might own a real estate portfolio, some of these companies have, and maybe this is diving too much into one particular sector, but have a, a legitimate asset class and in, in, in big data. And you use that obviously to, to help move technological innovation and provide analytics and smart outcomes, you know, based upon the, the use case. But it is, yeah, very, very interesting times. Hey, is it fair to say that more and more companies are becoming less definable by sector, you know, because I, I would say that media is similar. There used to be media companies. Now you could say any big company can consider itself a media company. I think any big company can potentially consider itself a technology company. Yeah, De- definitely. I think when you start looking into stocks, you're going to find a lot of uh, like grouping, right? You're going to find like there are the kind of the true tech stocks, right? Or like the FANG. So you got like Facebook, you got Apple, you got Amazon that are going to be grouped in that that idea of like, okay, these are tech stocks. But you're right, like so much is changing. There's there's so much integration on so many different levels. You know, when I think about different sectors, like I, I tend, my portfolio tends to be in a couple different sectors, right? Like I'm not all over the board, but what what I really like about that so when I think about these sectors, you start looking into different sectors, you're starting to learn a whole bunch of new information that's going on, um, whether mm-hmm. it's one company or multiple companies. Uh, but ultimately, it's just it's an it's a knowledge tool because I've liked certain stocks. I've now grown a better knowledge base, you know, within that sector because I've followed those stocks. I've seen what they're doing. I've seen the growth around it. You know, some of the competition. You get what I'm saying? Like, I, totally. Yeah, I think a lot of what influences where I would look to invest is where I get news from. One of the apps on my phone that I like to look at articles is TechCrunch, and they do a great job in summarizing current events specific to to tech companies. And it goes a little bit outside of the traditional mold sometimes too, but that obviously you know steers the companies and the sectors that I would look at from a from a macro level. But then it it's helpful too in terms of a uh, a guide on where I want to spend my time. It's almost like asking the question of, you know, what what's your what's your passion? Well, it, it helps to know the things that you enjoy doing on your free time. And so when it comes to investing, I looking at the the news sources that are interesting or the stories that that really move me happen to gravitate towards the tech stocks again because one of the outlets that I spend the most time in is is TechCrunch and focuses on on growth and innovation and investment investment too so it has some tie some tie-ins to, to to this as well but going back to to your question vita yeah it is really interesting to think of as some of these very very large conglomerate type companies continue to grow they are hard to define and i say that not so much from an investing standpoint it's just generally interesting or even how would you go after Amazon from a monopoly standpoint? Like back in the day, Microsoft had 99% of personal computers. And 
whether we agree or not, it was easier to prove, okay, they have somewhat of a monopoly. But <laughs> it's almost like Amazon's model mm-hmm. of well, just that's, is that's the exactly monopoly. what it is. The brand, it's the branding and the model and the operating culture. Once you nail those things, I feel like you can almost do anything. Obviously, you don't want to make huge leaps in terms of like you're over here doing cars and now you want to make pizzas. But I mean, even that's not crazy. I just watched a video about these freaking uh, pizza delivery trucks that have robotic pizza makers in them. And they like start cooking the pizza four minutes before they get in front of your house. (laughs) So like, (laughs) I think I saw my own example, like it's it's interesting in terms of trying to define these, especially big companies, I think. Yeah, you for know. sure. Well, it's it's super interesting too on a level of like you take like a clothing brand and you're like, well, how mm-hmm. how could a clothing brand now get into technology, right? And obviously, there's like technology and within what the material is or things like that. But then you look at like a Lulu, you know, mm-hmm. that merges with Mir. Yeah, I guess from Mir is that fitness. Love it. Yeah, right. That goes on the Love wall. It. So now you have a clothing company that's you know invested in this fitness company that's technology in your home. Who knows where they could be in another 10 years or, or 20 mm-hmm. years of, of what they get into. And so it, it's, it is super interesting for sure. And the thing is, it's like the future outlook. I think it's, it's obviously hard to predict the future, but you can kind of see where we're going. Well, yeah. Do you think that not to totally go off topic of our, you know, trying to define sectors that we're interested in, but we are talking about picking stocks. So you guys tell me, is it, you know, obviously you have to look at what a company's producing and what the needs are that are out there. But is it fair to say that, you know, looking at the leadership, like Jordan mentioned in the intro and, and looking at the culture and looking at the model of how they do things is maybe even more important than what they're actually doing? Yeah, I, I think so. Absolutely. And it made me think of, do you guys remember it was a, it is a really popular YouTube video that Simon Sinek gave at a TED talk. And it's, it's his whole thing was start with why. Mm-hmm. And I think he called it the golden circle, but he, he, he draws a few circles on, on, on uh, a piece of paper during his presentation. And he basically explains, you know, most companies know what they do, but maybe not why they do it. <laughs> and his example was, was crazy. So his example of like, you can look at an Apple who obviously very, very, innovative company but their culture is so strong in their purpose that they traditionally had made computers but then they made a phone and a music player and it all made sense and of course they make great products and if apple made a car we might think that's a little interesting but wow i want to buy one it'd probably be super sick whereas if dell or you know, another company, not to, not to call them out, Acer made a, like a pen or something. I'd be, why is my computer company trying to make me product XYZ? So to your point, I think that obviously at the end of the day, products and solutions will drive, but integral and pivotal to the long-term staying power and really sustainability for all these companies is, is company culture and branding. And rewarding, I mean, it's simple things, right? Like I think we've all probably been in environments where it's felt super corporate and not like a fixed mindset, 
not life giving, but life taking. And that's, I think that's a model that is ripe for disruption. And so, yeah, it is interesting to think about when you, when you look at investing in the companies, not that you can necessarily know the inner workings without having spent time there or talking to someone, but uh, I think that all plays into it. It's a really good question. So Jordan, I was going to ask how, as we transition from sectors into stocks, how do companies that you're interested in, how does that impact the companies that you invest in? You know, it's, it's, you can kind of look at these any ways, like you could follow a company and then from the company learn about the sector, or you could follow an individual and from that individual, you know, you learn about the company and the sector. So none of these are like in order of what you need to know or understand, but I mean, you kind of hit it in the head with with Apple. You know, when I really started getting investing, one of my favorite books that I started, I first read was Steve Jobs, right? And in that book, like I, I knew what Apple did, like they had great products, right? But I didn't know the why. And as you're reading this book and you're learning about Steve Jobs, I mean, the dude just wanted to make the best products and change the world. Like he always talked about changing the world. And you kind of hear that from some people and, um, you're like, well, yeah, obviously we want to change the world, but it's like, no, dude, he was so stuck on this idea of making products that could change, like really change the world. And he did that, you know, he did that with the iPhone. He did that with, uh, the computer, the way that we hear music so much of that changed. So then you look at that as like, all right, this is now I'm following this guy who's in Apple as a company that I know, but now it's like, what else is in that space that is kind of doing the same thing? And like one of our our favorite people that we always talk about, who's very much a Steve Jobs-like personality is Elon Musk. Elon's had a track record of being on a lot of successful companies, right? So it's kind of like know your CEO. He's got a track record of building great big companies and, you know, trying to be the best at it, you know? And now the guy's mission is to cultivate and have a community on Mars, to help like sustainability of the human race. And it's like, you, you, you just read that. If you heard him say that the first time without actually, you know, reading books or, uh, really listen to him talk, like you kind of be like, yeah, well, that sounds cool. But like that guy, it's his mission. So it's just this, like this theme, right? They're all kind of intertwined. It's like, I'm not saying that there's really a, a formula of like, all right, this is the sector I want to be in. I'm going to pick this company, the CEO. It's just like, have an idea, like, when I invest in companies, I want to know a lot about them, right? And I want to I want to be a fan of that team. So I'm looking at who who is the CEO, like who is the leadership there? Are they regarded, you know, as someone that is known as a great leader, or is it someone that's kind of known to hop around companies? And so just there's a lot that goes into that. And I think that's what we're talking about on this episode is, you know, we we give you some ideas of like, all right, these are where you can invest. But there's so much information out there. Like you said, you use TechCrunch. My go-to is Yahoo Finance. I mean, I hear about a company, then I look them up and I start reading all the articles, you know, on Yahoo Finance. Go into the forums a lot, like the conversations tab. It can get kind of crazy in there, but there's a lot of times there's a lot of good information as to go find, you know, different information, right? Someone might post an article that you hadn't seen. I feel like a lot has changed, you know, since, you know, even when we talk about these, all these new apps and stuff, like the amount of information, the amount of opportunity for us to be like mini experts in these fields, like there's just so much information out there for us to do it. So when I think about like really getting behind your stock is like, that's where I see the most success is finding a stock, finding a company, 
you know, in a particular uh, sector that I'm f- pretty familiar with or I've learned about, you know, and then kind of just hunkering in and back in that a little bit. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Wrapping up on the sector discussion, when I first came out of college, I worked for an investment company, if you guys remember, for for a year. And, you know, that's it's somewhat interesting to, to work in finance or investing outside of like a couple big markets. Like I feel like you can't take yourself that seriously if you don't live in Chicago or New York. But one of the things they they did or preached that I thought made sense was if there is, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, but if there are sectors you feel really, really good about opposed to individual stocks, take a couple shots in terms of big companies in those sectors, whether it's like energy or healthcare or industrials, so that when it's the rising tide example, you might not hit on every one, but as that sector rises as a larger tide, you benefit, you know, similar to how you might in the market in general with with a mutual fund. But if you feel confident in an individual stock too, maybe it makes more sense to to double down there. But I wanted to ask for you guys, do you try to keep a certain balance in your portfolio? Or if you see an opportunity you like, would you go all in? I mean, I kind of feel like you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, the thing is with that with that question is like, Yes, I'm going to take a shot, but I've done yeah. I've done some a decent amount of research and had a great grasp of what the company does before I'm just mm-hmm. like thinking it's a great opportunity because I heard something right. in the wind. But yeah, I mean, I tend to I think you you got to balance out the type of risks you're going to take. You yeah. know, how how high a risk you're going to take versus, you know, having some some pretty solid, you know, some of my favorite stocks are just super solid companies that have been around for a long time and that will probably be around, you know, for a long time in the future. But I definitely have some that, you know, you kind of bring up and someone's like, what? Like, what do they do? You know, (laughs) but I'd love to talk about it too. That's generally me. That's generally me. Have you heard of this one? Nope. Uh, Well, and I think different ones and. Well, what's interesting too, I think the older, not that we're old, right? But the older we get and further away from, you know, 18, 19, 20, when we first started doing this, the more value I see and having a certain percentage in that you want to invest in cash ready to strike and not like you know i have this this large large amount but it is yeah i think think good to be able to you got to have some liquidity right if you see an event like let's say a stock goes down that you feel good about long term but you don't have any free capital that's that's a problem so right and we've been there before too and that's where margin investing comes in (laughs) I think, I think too, part of it is the idea that, you know, hopefully you're contributing, you know, if your company has a 401k or a good retirement, yeah. you know, that's a pretty stable thing to invest in. And I know, you know, a lot of people were checking their 401k at the start of this pandemic and being like, holy crap, you know, like a lot's gone, but, you know, being a younger investor, like you're going to have a lot longer for markets to go up and down. And, yeah. you know, that's the type of money that like, I don't even think about, or I don't even try to touch, you know, contributing to, to something like that. And then on the other hand is having, you know, a, more of a higher risk portfolio or something that you go after. And I think it's, it's smart to mention too, that for both of us, we really aren't in a position that we're trying to time the market. And by that, I mean, 
get out before a, a giant downswing now. Do I want to move to a defensive position and, and save money? Yeah, for sure. And I think actually in investing, it's almost harder to not lose money than make money at times. But for both, you know, all of us on, on the podcast, I think this for us is about long term and companies we feel good over the long term. And if, you know, the, the random small company that, that Jordan finds takes off 20, 30, 40% over the next month or two, that's that's great too. But yeah, to, to move your whole portfolio because maybe you see something coming on the horizon like an election or a big event. Historically, that is going to be impossible to avoid. Actually, let me just take a few seconds on a, or a, few, a minute on a, on a story. You know, one of the interesting things about academia um, and this actually coming from a sales perspective where in sales, a big part of it is finding who to talk to. <laughs> so comparing that to academ- academics, what's interesting is every person at a college institution has their contact information listed. So I thought it was a great idea when I was in college to email, I won't mention his name, but a very prominent professor. You guys don't even think know this story. Yeah, but cold we, should, email. Uh, we should hit him up and get him on. <laughs> Honestly. So I eat cold email, uh, a distinguished fellow professor from University of Chicago. And if you know finance, that's where a lot of people argue finance was birthed. And he got back to me. And now he is on the theory of markets are efficient. And so by, by that, I mean that it's impossible to time a market to really know what's going to happen. So all that equal invest in the things you feel good about and see where it falls. And at the time, I didn't want to hear that, right? Because I wanted 18, 19, I wanted the code and the, the secret to the stock market. And uh, he he helped me sort of see the wisdom in that. And uh, we probably exchanged over that year or two, I think even extended a little bit out of college too, five or six emails with, I'll have to go back and look at that. Yeah, with really interesting, interesting feedback. But no, I, I definitely subscribe to the thought that the market's efficient. But that doesn't mean that there's not good deals out there, too. So what does that mean on a practical level? Is that kind because of, what I kind of hear what he's saying is basically like just invest in a mutual fund and leave it, leave it alone. Right. Yeah. He was, so that's not very much fun. Right. And so I think there's a lot that goes into this idea of the market being efficient, but it's basically and maybe maybe I'm a little bit off with this, but if I had to paraphrase it, obviously in my own words, it's saying that the market is efficient enough that whatever you think you know that it doesn't know, you probably that's probably not going to help you, or you don't know it. <laughs> generally, generally the idea. And so, yeah, you could argue that investing in a mutual fund or an index fund would be hard to beat, but that's on average. What if you have so, a good gut feeling? Does Go for out, it. Does that outweigh the... Well, I mean, you're Jordan, not to dive into your specifics, but I know for sure you've had years where you've crushed what the market's done. And so I would say the market efficiency thing plays more to the broad stroke of, you know, this is true across the board, but doesn't necessarily hold true in a singular environment when you see yeah. a good opportunity, take a shot at it. Well, and I think it, a lot of it comes to like what your goals are, right, too. And, and like I said, if, if you're someone that's trying to, you know, start from a place of like, this is my first time investing. And I, I know I'm a tough, but I want a, a ton, but I want to like continue to steadily grow it. You know, then you, you do that. Like if you're someone that like, hey, I have some pretty stable investments over here. Like I want to take some 
shots on, you know, some newer companies that are up and coming in a certain industry or whatever it is. You know, it's all, it all kind of depends on what your goals are. Is it also operating under the assumption of, well, you said what you think, you know, you probably don't, but I don't know. Cause I haven't heard anybody else talk about specifically researching businesses in depth and mm-hmm what they're trying to do. Like you hear about people talking about analyzing the markets and analyzing the finance side of things, but you don't really hear people talk about the types of things that we're starting to talk about. Right. The three of us, yeah. you know, that's, that's a good point. And I definitely think there's a, there's a place for it. And you look at a guy like a Warren Buffett, who obviously he's in a different <laughs> category than everybody. But when he started out, he figured out a way to value companies and find intrinsic value that was greater or less than um, what the market thought it was worth. So yeah, I I think it, they are different. And if you can find information that's not like insider trading that gives you an advantage you think you feel good about, then absolutely take a shot at it. And that's, I think, I think what we're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, for sure, Jordan. I think I like from a fundamental standpoint, I like what the professor said, you know, the, the idea of that, like, I, I like that. But what we're talking about too is like, there is a little bit of insight. If you really spend time and look at some of these companies or some of these sectors and things, I mean, like for us being young, like you think about video games and it's like, all right, there's a pandemic. Okay. No one's going to be able to leave the house. Okay. People are going to play more video games. Right. Like just thinking about like things that we know about. Right. So then like, oh, what are some video game stocks? What are stocks that are in that space that, you know, probably are going to have more sales or long term, you know, might be doing some really great things. And that's just like a small example of doing some research of, okay, like I do know a little bit about this, like what's going on in the current situation, where people are going and then, you know, trying to to have a play on that. There's there's two sides to it a little bit. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. So it's not necessarily like you have the inside angle, but it's like you have, you've done a lot of more, a lot of research that has helped. And I would say naturally, you've been pretty good at that, Jenks. Let's talk about earnings reports for a second. We have that listed here. <laughs> you probably have some stories around that because that can either be really, really, really good or really bad. But uh, now on that particular topic, what is an earnings report? How does that impact a stock? And does that does an earnings report generally make you feel excited that it may skyrocket or the opposite? I feel like I'm always excited for an earnings report. <laughs> like I'm always, and I'm excited always, for it. I'm always pessimistic. I'm always, yeah. I need to get like out. I always think there's going to be some good news in that that's just going to just change everything. I'm definitely optimistic about it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's an important thing. You know, is understanding the companies that you're invested in when they're their quarterly earnings report comes out, right? That's when they send out to the public how they've done the the previous quarter and then the outlook on the future. I mean, I hop on a lot of those calls. If I'm invested in those stocks, then you get to participate and and listen and you get a better idea of, okay, maybe our sales were down, but this is the future outlook. Or maybe our sales were up, but you know, we're we're pulling back a little bit. So you can get some a pretty good feel. Um, and a lot of times those are always po- right. They're always posted um, the day of of the earnings report. But I mean, for me, I'm always kind of looking at, all right, when's the next earnings report? Where is that going to land? Like I've, I've seen 
both sides of it. I've seen an earnings report come out and just be awesome. And then the stock just skyrocket. And I've seen the opposite. And then there's a lot of times where it's like, wow, that was a really good earnings outlook. And then the next day the stock's down. And, you know, that, that's the tough part about it. But if you're talking like we are like long term, you know, it's it's one of those things where I don't want to say it's like a playoff game or something like that. Like every time there's an earnings report, you know, like to know if you're heavily invested in a stock, it's like tomorrow I know I'm going to get a big update, some new information, something that's going on. Kind of like you said, John, so you're kind of on the opposite end. You're always like, uh. oh, totally. When it comes to money, <laughs> pessimistic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's always interesting when the earnings report is right after close. So we maybe mentioned it a bit, but when you're talking about investing in the, the traditional stock exchange, like New York Stock Exchange, you have a, a certain window and it's, it's set on East Coast time and it stops at 1.30 Pacific time. And generally, these companies will report on earnings right at close. So you can't technically invest in the market per se, but there's a thing called after hours trading that comes in. And it seems like, I don't know if it's PSD or so, PTSD, but I've had a few earnings reports where it goes really, really bad. And although the market's not technically open, people are trading after hours <laughs> yeah. and the stock starts plummeting. <laughs> yeah, my, my old company was like that a lot, but there's, people view that as a good thing too. There's definitely a long-term believer. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of people that trade on like earnings days, like totally, you know, totally. they'll buy or sell right before earnings because they're they're taking a a shot i mean a lot of times no i won't say a lot of times but there are times where you could probably have a good idea of what the earnings outlook's gonna be you know like i said kind of getting back to the gaming stocks i mean you look at something like a Fortnite or like a call of duty you know who owns those companies like activision owns call of duty right and you see this huge uptick in people playing and you're like, okay, well, some of their sales are going to go up. You know what I mean? And then you hear that. Totally. You can anticipate some of that stuff, but it's a wild, it's a, it's a wild ride. I think, I think as you build, like I said, you build your portfolio and you get more invested in certain companies. You know, if you're someone that's invested in like one of Elon's companies, like that's like every day, <laughs> every day. A, no question. A tweet or something like that, you know, that just influences so much there. But it's 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 an important aspect. Like I definitely say, you you got your company, you've you've invested in it. Like make sure you're paying attention to when their earnings is. A lot of speculation sometimes around like if they're gonna be acquired or they're gonna acquire somebody. Right? There's there's some of that stuff. And track record's big there too. Like a company with a track record of consistently meeting expectations on an earnings part. I guess I haven't looked at this empirically, but I would assume it seems like they're more likely to meet it. In the, in the for future. sure and, and that's that stuff's all out there right that's all out there in the public that you know like i said i use yahoo finance all the time i click on a, a company that i'm interested in i can see you know all their quarterly earnings you know going back and there tends to be a lot of times you know a, a trend with that you know in light of what's going on now it it's different for a lot of different industries and it will be interesting to see how that affects you know the future months ahead and years for sure so we've we've talked about sectors a little bit. We've talked about companies and we've told stories about old professors and emails and but the, the last thing or one of the other things we talked about bringing up was knowing and you mentioned it a little bit at the start of the pod but knowing your uh, your CEO or how does leadership impact companies that you look at? I, I think it's one of the biggest 
parts of that. One, just just for myself, like I I really want to get behind somebody that I believe in from a di- whole bunch of different ways, from successful business aspect to, you know, what are they doing beyond that? Like people surprise you. Like, you know, uh, when I think about like Twitter, I think about Jack Dorsey, really tough role to be in. But he's, he's, he's built a couple companies that have been really successful. And then like you see, he donates like a third of his wealth. You know, you see things like that. That's the stuff I'm interested in. Uh, I like to see, you know, what are they doing outside of that? And then like you take someone like Elon. I mean, the guy is just not from this world. Do I love everything that he says and, and does? Like, no, but the general mission that he has of, of trying to make the world a better place, like through Tesla and through um, SpaceX, it's that's a big part of where I want to invest. Yeah, I think Elon's refreshing because... This is taking a little off topic, but the companies he started, Tesla, SpaceX, even the boring company or Hyperloop, remember that one? And other people are running with it now. It, it's so great to see such a brilliant mind bring on such talented people at these companies to tackle problems that are meaningful around sustainability and of course, space exploration. I think... I mentioned before I was in investing for a little bit of time and I I think if I had to be somewhat critical, it seems like a lot of really brilliant people are in industries that aren't doing, you know, as much from a problem statement, what can I do for the world as those. And so, yeah, to your point, it's, it's really easy to cheer on those. And what's great about Elon too is what it seems is, gosh, he seems like a grinder. And I don't know company culture very well at, at those companies, but... I tell you what, if I have to work for a company or I'm a part of a, a company where the top guy's putting in 100 hours a week and really believes in the mission, I think that's going to help motivate me too. And yeah, it is interesting. When you're trying to find companies that you want to get behind and, and you know, there's just going to be companies that you look at the CEO and maybe you don't know much about their personal life, but you see their track record as a, you know, they were at this company prior and it blew up and it was really successful and they just have been a good, you know, leadership values are, are pretty high from everything. I mean, you can find all this stuff on the internet. I mean, Forbes mm-hmm. can find top CEOs and you can read about them. I mean, if you're, if you're a CEO or if you're a top, you know, executive at a company, there's going to be a lot of information on you on the internet, you know? Yeah. That, that actually brings me to a question that I had also for those that don't know my background, I work in media, video production, podcasts, production, media strategy, all these things. And, and I've worked with corporate companies on incorporate internal communications and seen some good corporate digital communicators and some terrible corporate digital communicators. How important do you think that is for CEOs and leadership at companies in general, just not only internal, but but external as well? I mean, you see the effect of Elon's tweets. That's an extreme example, but I personally think it that it's going to be extremely important for CEOs and high-level executives to learn how to communicate both to their own company and to shareholders or potential shareholders through social media and through digital means. Yeah, I think CEOs are just scratching the surface on that. I think that's probably a big area of opportunity for a lot of companies that we've talked about before, but at the end of the day, I think the leader of any, really any organization, but let's say a CEO of a, of a big company, needs to be the number one evangelist 
and working to use his platform to get his message out. And that's a message of, oh, here's what we're bringing to the table. Here's how we take care of our customers. Here's how we take care of our people. And we're on a podcast right now. I, I think if a CEOs being smart, they're using whatever means they have available from a media standpoint to to get their to get their message about out about not just themselves but the, their company and what they're doing. And there's a big opportunity with that. And you are starting to see some things change too. I think the profile of traditional CEOs is probably skewing now a little younger than it was and you see more women um, and even you know minorities and others to to take these leadership roles and I think that will be extremely important for the future in terms of setting culture but also getting the word out about a company that maybe you know but you don't know super well it's a lot of opportunity there it's such a different time right I mean you have the president like tweeting every day I mean the the connection people feel even whether it's just Twitter alone there's such a better way now to communicate communicate to people, it's going to be important going forward to have those platforms be used. It's crazy how much a lot, like a lot rides on that, that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Let's take the Elon example. I know we're talking about him a lot, but you know, he's worthy. One, of, worthy. Yeah, one of the more famous examples of a tweet affecting the market. He has a few for sure, but, or actually this wasn't even a tweet, excuse me. But when he decided to smoke marijuana on the Joe Rogan podcast, and there was a, I believe there was a, a stock hit there after was. that, correct? Yeah. Was yeah. there? Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> like, why? <laughs> you know? I, I think people look at, you know, I think that's part of it, too, is like this idea of the CEO. Like, Elon is not your typical CEO. And he's almost like a tough example for us to use, you know? Because mm-hmm. right, there's right. not, not a ton typical of people at all. like him. Right. Right, but... But it's he's not going to be the last, you know. He's not going to be the mm-hmm. the only one that's that is such a like a public figure in that way, um, mm-hmm. you know. It, and that's that's part of it is just you see things like that, or he'll he could tweet something that the stock is overvalued, right? And all of a sudden, <laughs> stock takes a huge hit. But you know, it, yeah. as you see, like it goes back up, you know. And I think that's the important thing is really. I guess looking at what they're doing, I mean, is that something where I think people were looking at him as like, maybe he's not fit to be the CEO um, Mm -hmm. in a sense, if he's going to go on a podcast and smoke weed. Right. I mean, that's already a topic where it's, people are so divided on from a standpoint. I guess for us, it doesn't seem all that strange being younger, but probably for like, you know, older conservative shareholders. Right. I mean, he's in a way is appealing more to a younger crowd you feel more like him, right? You don't get to see a lot mm-hmm. of CEOs. You know, it's even like NFL players or NBA players or like those pro players. Like when they do something that feels like, okay, like they're into what I'm into and I'm not necessarily talking about like smoking weed. It's just in general, like <laughs> you feel a little bit right. of a humanization to someone that is, you know, a leader of a billion dollar company. And I just think it's cool that he goes on those podcasts and how many mm-hmm. CEOs do you not see do that? And maybe you could argue that not every CEO gets that opportunity with a guy like Joe Rogan's podcast. But uh, you asked the, you asked the question though, why the word "why" ties in with how I view Elon Musk of why that's not okay, and it sparked me on what's so interesting about his approach. He talks about it on that podcast all the time, but is he takes a first principles approach from physics. And I don't know that much about physics, but I know enough to where that's basically saying 
that cut down everything that you think you know around the subject or what people are telling you and bring it back to some simple truths that allow you to, okay, why do we do it this way? Do we really need this? Are we doing this because we've always done it? And those, that like bureaucracy is what I try to avoid when I think about companies that I think are going to be around for a while, whether it's, you know, companies I talk to in my current, my current role or, or other companies. So, um, can you clarify real quick what you mean by the, the bureaucracy? Yeah. Well, maybe that's not the right word, but I think, and this goes outside of publicly traded companies, really just any group of people. I think it's very easy to rest on the way it's always been done. And I think that's a dangerous a dangerous place to be and one that, you know, makes things pretty ripe for disruption, um, really no matter the subject. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of what I'm at. I, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, talking a little bit too, it's, we, we've mentioned a little bit about a lot of the different websites you can go to or like information that's out there, you know, TechCrunch, Yahoo Finance, uh, Robinhood has a great, you know, like I said, when you invest in, or you just click on a company, you can scroll down and there's just tons of different articles. Motley Fool is another one that I use pretty early on. Uh, I, I think they do a good job of highlighting companies and CEOs, um, you know, getting good information out there as far as, you know, there's different services you can pay for too on the amount of information that they give. But, you know, just for a standard, I think it's a good place to start and look for information. And then, I mean, honestly, a big thing is just companies' websites. A lot of companies have different news tabs and what's going on. And I think it's a good good deal going on the actual website, learning what they're doing. It tends to be smaller companies. Like they're, they probably have an investor tab in which a lot of their articles and, and things like that are on there. Um, anything else that you use, John, or that you can think of that's yeah, I like Yahoo Finance. I like it a lot. Actually, I end up checking Google Finance too. So on my you know personal computer in a browser, I'll pull up Google Finance to see the stocks that I've looked at most recently. And then from there, they have market news as well. And obviously being from Google, it's easy to dive into topics that come to mind based upon articles that you've seen. But yeah, I like, I like Yahoo Finance a lot. I get a lot of tech news from TechCrunch and then... I mentioned it last time, but the investment app that I use, Titan, gives a lot of good insights on specific companies that I like because it's it's a collection of twenty stocks, and they give their research, and it's it's always really way really well stated and laid out on not just the uh, not just the market, but the twenty stocks that they have in the portfolio they make. So, yeah, to your point, lots of places to get news, but those are some of the ones that I use. Yeah, so I, I think just ra- kind of wrapping up this topic. Really what we're trying to get across is is highly recommend doing your research on companies before you actually invest in them. You know, longer term investments. I mean, get to know what they've been doing in the past. You know, who's the leadership of that company? You know, what sector are they in? Is it a dying sector? Is it something that's growing and, and, and blowing up? And there's a lot of, uh, you know, feature on that. I mean, examples would be like, you know, artificial intelligence, right? There's a huge, we're not really sure what that's going to be like but we have ideas and how it's going to grow. So, um, you know, I think, and that's really going forward. What I'm excited about in these future episodes is covering these sectors a little bit more in depth, you know, focusing on, on one and then stocks we like, I mean, really that's the, 
that's the best part about this podcast really is just stocks that we like and companies that we kind of believe in and and uh, want to be a part of. Jordan, do you have an example of a company that you've looked at and and looked at all those things that you could explain? Yeah. Give an example. For sure. I mean, honestly, probably, and John, you're familiar with this, but Nevro. Nevro was kind of the first big stock that I invested in. And when I first started looking into Nevro, uh, I remember Googling who the CEO was. And I think it was Keith Grossman and like looking at his history and the companies that he had been, been involved with and just kind of seeing a trail of like, okay, he's been with some pretty successful companies. Uh, it just had all the right tangibles of like, okay, I think this is going in a good place. So I called up John. I said, Hey man, Nevro. He's like, what is Nevro? I think it took me a while to convince you to invest on it. But I, I was think, like, but I think after doing my research and then talking to you about it, right? Like it was easier for you to look it up and be like, Oh, okay. You know, it wasn't like I was just mm-hmm. saying, Hey, look at Nevro. And you were like doing your research on your own. It was like, I was bringing it to you saying, Hey, this is, I think this is a good opportunity and this is why. Um, their facilities, awesome state of art. Like it's a good place to grow. And I think, uh, yeah, that was my first big stock that I invested in. And, and on, I mean, honestly, that's, that's a great example to wrap on because that was one where sort of all three things that we talked about were in play. You had belief in some of the leadership that you knew at that company from a company standpoint we knew that they had a lot of plans to grow and hire more salespeople and more people. And then just in terms of the overall sector, um, you know, healthcare more specifically, that was that, that one's like surgical devices or something like that. Basically they were trying to help with chronic back pain. So I think they had like a, a little device or I had a familiar idea of the sector that they were in a lot of the companies that they were competing with, you know, like I interviewed with Stryker, like 40 times out of college, right? And that's kind of where I wanted to be um, before going to Lincoln. And so I just had a, I had a good idea of like, okay, this seems like they're going to be a very, so yeah, it was like sector. Then you start seeing the company culture. Like I got to spend time with employees. They just love working there. I think they were in maybe San Mateo, somewhere right around there. So, you know, at that time it was an awesome place to live and be. And I just wish we had a little little bit of, bigger portfolio at that time would have been nice or just had more more money you know but that's a great example of like being new to investing i mean i think i think when i started investing they were like 50 bucks a share i think they're at like maybe 120 now you know and i probably got out of around 100 bucks or something but just just this idea of like you know making sure you're investing for you know longer term and not just trying to like you said guess on the market what it's going to do For those listening, thanks for joining us. Catch you later.